Welcome to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Radio 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. Today's episode brings you Internet of Things, and here's your host, Luke McCormick. Good afternoon, and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss critical issues facing government and industry leaders with the management and technology challenges evolving with the Internet of Things. With me on today's show are Kevin Robbins, Acting Executive Director, Security Operations, Veterans Affairs, Rick Walsh, U.S. Army Mobile Innovation Lead, Scott Tuesley, Department of Deputy Director of Science and Technology, Cybersecurity Division, Department of Homeland Security. Chris Townsend, Vice President, Sales and Operations, Semantic Federal. Dave Winogren, Managing Director, Deloitte. And Ryan Gillis, Vice President, Cybersecurity and Global Policy, Palo Alto Networks. Well, Internet of Things is a great conversation and it's a big subject. Now, many of us were out at CES a couple of months ago and, and boy there was just thousands and thousands of devices out there every consumer device had some sort of internet of thing connectivity I don't think I saw a single device out there that wasn't interconnected in some kind of way you know they estimate there's about eight and a half billion devices out there today going on 20 billion by 2020 and let's face it 2020 is right in our headlines right NIST just issued a report that's in draft raising concerns about some of the standards and perhaps a lack of standards as far as different types of sectors. Uh, Congress is suggesting a cyber shield, sort of a, an energy, energy star, sort of good housekeeping seal of approval capability where you know you've got some standards and a, a security capability in that device. And so, I, you know, I, I think we look at this as there's a balance, you know, between the, uh, the goodness of, of, of enabling our mission enabling uh, our country in regards to these types of devices and then the unintended consequences. So let's start talking about that. I'm going <clears> to <throat> ask uh, you, Rick, uh, first. Uh, tell us, you know, wh what's going on with the Internet of Things over at the Army? Wh what's happening over at the Army in regards to the Internet of Things? I can think of a thousand, you know, capabilities there. So uh, why don't you give us some input there? Right now, the Army, we're very interested in, as I talked to some of the people in the, in the space, is looking at moving our um, IT, IT workforce or our intellectual workforce, uh, making them the business space. So having said that, there's a lot of connected devices. Um, in, in a great, great example, what we do today is in our recruiting space, a, a, young, a young man that's recruiting for the Army spends his day on the road. He is a connected user, so he's got sensors, devices, and he's working with a large community of users and we need to make sure that user base is connected and again on top of that secured. So making our soldiers the sensor, taking advantage of the Internet of Things, the sensors that are available for them to use and bringing that information back into the Army. Well I would imagine that a soldier's got uh, a variety of Internet of Things uh, devices sort of connected to them along with uh, connecting those to embedded systems and uh, all your platforms etc. Kevin, how about you? How about over at the VA? What's happening there? I can't yeah. imagine that there's not a plethora of capability that's uh, 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 being installed over at the, uh, the Veterans Affairs. Yeah, I exactly. I mean, uh, Internet of Things is not the future for the VA. I mean, we've been living it with our medical uh, devices and in the healthcare community 
you know, it, it's it's instrumental in the doctors and physicians being able to get the information immediately on patients. Uh, it's only going to grow exponentially over the next five years. You know, we really expect to have the capabilities in place where uh, a patient is in constant communication with their physician if they if they have a serious condition, uh, whether it's automatically uh, from a device connected to or an implanted in. Uh, communicating directly, uh, making entries into the electronic health record, things like that. Uh, you know, availability to physicians and veteran care is obviously important to all of us. So uh, the Internet of Things is definitely going to become uh, the, the cornerstone for a lot of things that we do in the VA. We saw a, a great uh, um, uh, illustration of that at the White House a couple of months ago where they were you know, showing the telemedicine and the capabilities there. A lot of Internet of Things capability there. Uh, Chris, how do you secure all this, right? You know, there, there's, a, there's, a, there's this big promise and a lot of good capabilities out there, multi-sectors, multi but it's got to be secure and I know there's a lot of concerns about that. Yeah, absolutely, Luke. And <clears throat> to Kevin's point, uh, the idea of, of Internet of Things isn't, isn't new, right? We hear about the consumer electronics shows you mentioned and the Nest thermostats and cameras and all that, that they're connected, but there's been technology that is vulnerable to this type of threat for a long time, industrial control systems, SCADA systems, certainly healthcare, and really Symantec's focused on securing that IT to OT operational technology transition and preventing the introduction, execution, proposition, and operation of these technologies. And it's not a, it's not a uh, science project for Symantec. We've got a really robust product portfolio uh, that allow you to prevent the introduction of these uh, these pieces of malware on these legacy systems. A lot of these systems are running operating systems like Windows XP, things that haven't been patched for years, and we really need to be proactive in terms of securing those and then locking those systems down with, with uh, tools that will prevent, again, the or, uh, propagation of, uh, of malware. Can't imagine that uh, it's got to be a, quite a, a wrestling match to uh, to try to uh, uh, secure something that's you know 10 and 15 years old, especially when it's embedded. Yeah, absolutely. So the the tools that we're deploying to do that really are based on whitelisting capability that locks the system down to its core function. Uh, we also have some scanning technology. You know, you think about uh, these systems being air gapped. Well, they may not be connected to the internet, but they're interconnected, and you know the thinking of being air-gapped is really a lie that we tell ourselves, right? You know, the, you, you introduce malware through USB keys, through yeah, laptops. These days, right? Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. I think we've all learned that lesson where we think things are air-gapped and perhaps they're not. Correct. Scott, what, what is science and technology's role in, uh, in the Internet of Things? Where are you guys investing research in this area? Uh, tell us about what's happening there. Sure. This is, you know, the way we think of it, this is sort of the ultimate use case because we've been doing applied research in cyber-physical systems, ICS systems, and a lot of different areas, but it's really when you see the Internet of Things, both as DHS is going to be using it, when you think about a Coast Guard official or somebody at the border or at the airport, you know, they're going to be in this network of connected capability and systems, and we want them to be more able to do their jobs. But we also see it, you know, when you get out into the cities and communities throughout the country who are trying to connect these cross-systems together, and so legacy work that we've funded and looked at in wireless security elements and cyber physical systems and software quality and security, all of this really comes together at this IoT, which again is a use case where all of these combination things come together and it's a, 
there's still a lot of applied research that's needed, but it is a, one of the most interesting applied engineering challenges the nation faces today, I think. Yeah, I mean, you have the smart globe, so to speak, and then the smart city, and then, you know, a smart car, and then a smart individual, right? And, you know, and that's, I guess, how you get to 20 billion plus. Dave, uh, what are you seeing from Deloitte's perspective out there in regards to the Internet things? What, what are your customers asking you to deal with? What are you guys wrestling with here? So at Deloitte, I'll say we're, we're leading by example on the Internet of Things. If you uh, go to our building in Amsterdam, uh, say Google the Edge in Amsterdam, you'll find a great little four-minute Bloomberg news video about the facility. It's not only the greenest building in the world, it's arguably the most connected building in the world from, from when you enter it and the license plate photo reader knows your car's coming into your smartphone app that alerts you as you're going up the escalator into the building, that depending on your, you prefer standing desks or you need a collapse of the offices for you to use for the day, to instantly pairing your device to the flat screens, to being able to control the LED lights. I mean, it's not just about, you know, maximizing occupancy because by doing these kinds of things you can reduce, you don't have to have one room per person, right? And it's not just about reducing operating costs, but for us it's really about the war on talent. And providing this kind of an environment to work in, not not only is a great way to enhance productivity, but it's also a wonderful way to ensure retention of your wonderful talent. Sounds fantastic. It also sounds scary. Uh, so, uh, Ryan, why don't you tell us, you know, how, how does a, a Palo Alto deal with those sort of things, right? I'm sure Deloitte's not the only company that's uh, plugging these things together and making their building smart. Yeah, absolutely. So um, we sort of look holistically at this. So um, where are the places where a bad guy, where an adversary needs to take steps to be successful? And then tailor that to the, to the environment that you're working in. In IoT, we've expanded the attack surface. We've gone from the traditional IT environment to just as you've heard from the stakeholders at the table. So we're talking about electronic medical records. We're talking about actual, the, I think the, the hacker term is, is wetware hacking. So how do you get into things like pacemakers, um, how do you protect the warfighter at the vehicle level down to the smartphone and the device that, that they're carrying, and DHS with the, with the stakeholders really across both within the department um, and 260,000, I think, employees with a diverse mission set. So um, in each one of these cases, you need to look at different places where you can interdict the bad guy. So in, in a medical records environment, that's more of a traditional IT environment. How do you protect at the endpoint? How do you protect within the local network? How do you protect partnering with the internet service provider at the, at the broader network level? Um, what you can put at the endpoint in a vehicle may be different than what you put on the, on the end of a smartphone. And so how do you tailor those solutions to those type of things and also look at the, the threats from the, the IoT that you may not be able to put something at the endpoint. So we talked a little bit about you know, the thermostat, the toaster. You're not going to have an endpoint solution for that. So how do you leverage in the network level to ensure not just that the attack isn't leveled at, at that particular device, but as we saw in the Mirai botnet and others, that those devices aren't repurposed to attack some of these critical systems across these stakeholders. Mm, yeah, interesting. Um, I would imagine that standards at some point will come into play here, right, as, as we start to uh, propagate this stuff out. Let's talk about specific programs and maybe a program that you're, you're, you're deploying Internet of Things, or you're, you're prototyping Internet of Things, something that, that you feel has a a lot of promise or already has a lot of uh, impact. Let's start with uh, the VA. Uh, where, where do you guys have a, uh, perhaps a, uh, something that you're rolling out there that, that, that's really been, um, uh, uh, you know, 
groundbreaking in regards to Internet of Things. Right. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously the big thing, once again, is in the healthcare uh, space, you know, with the, the medical monitoring systems, the ability to then integrate it into the electronic health record. Electronic health record's been talked a lot about the sharing between DOD and the VA and being able to take care of the soldier through their lifetime as a veteran. Uh, so, so we are really working hard to integrate and automate as much as possible to give the availability to the physician, regardless of where they sit, uh, access to that information on, uh, on their patients. You know, we, we've kind of moved away from the old way of thinking that, you know, a physician sits in an office and sees a patient and they have everything enclosed within their little box. Now you have to have a physician across the United States that has access possibly to a patient on the other coast, you know. so. Uh, once again, making it more available, making sure that securely these, these devices can communicate and provide the data necessary to provide the patient care our veterans need. Yeah, and I've seen all these consumer devices that are you're doing a lot of health metering and, you know, right. uh, so presumably they're phone, phoning home in, in, in some regards, and I think about some of the capability there. It just sounds fantastic. I'm sure the VA is exploring those as well. How about the Army? Uh, any, any programs you want to highlight there in regards to the Internet of Things, the smart soldier perhaps? Or? I'd, I'd really rather talk about, um, yeah, smart soldiers there, but the Corps of Engineers is doing some very, very interesting things mm -hmm. in the Internet of Things space. Um, and you know how they, and, and really I, I want to go there because we deal with the DHS, we, we work with a lot of com organizations across, and it really is a coalition of services that the Corps of Engineers provides, and they're protecting United States as a unit. So, I mean, when they talk, they go and they support floods, they support fires, they do that kind of stuff. But what they're doing in Internet of Things is they are dropping sensors. So we're actually putting sensors on dikes, levees, and dams that actually monitor that dam and effectively phone home and give us back information. So um, in doing that, we are proactively and in advance of something serious happening where no, we know that we need to do work. The, the density level, the, the moisture content in a levee reaches a certain point and it automatically tells us this and we go back in and do the fix before something serious happens. The Mississippi floods, the, the, the hurricane that flooded that whole area. We're going to look at it, try and get it in front of things now. So that's, Corps of Engineers is the one that's actually looking then. In the Internet of Things, what, what happens there is we're looking for inexpensive sensors. We're looking for sensors that we can drop and Basically, well, disposable, disposable right? exactly, yeah, disposable right. sensors. Okay. We don't want to go back out mm -hmm. and pick up a thousand sensors sure. that we dropped in the Mississippi Delta because we never find them again. Environmentally safe, I'm sure, and it's like a, almost like a Doppler radar out there uh, for you to uh, exactly. early, early warn them. Uh, Dave, how about uh, over at Deloitte? Uh, you gave us a great example of something Deloitte is doing internally, maybe something that you're doing with a customer yeah. uh, that they've asked you to do. Well, if buildings are one great use case for government to think about. Another one is fleet management. And we're seeing a lot of progress with our clients on around asset management, asset tracking, asset visibility, not just for vehicles, but for the expensive assets that, that ride in vehicles. We're seeing great advances with the ability to do predictive maintenance. So rather than unplanned maintenance, being able to do planned maintenance and how that can help drive down operating costs. But enabling smart cities, when you talked about CES, we were delighted to be a co-sponsor for the smart cities track down the CES because this sort of outside data that you can collect from vehicles too around potholes and weather and air quality and these sorts of things. And then the fourth area is all around how do you influence operator behavior. So this, this idea around, you know, you can reduce insurance claims, you can reduce workman's comp claims if you're sort of tracking driver behavior and, and you know, optimizing on those sorts of things. How can you be more fuel efficient? How can you, you know, 
know, make sure that people are doing the right things. And so there's a way to take these sensors and take them far beyond the initial purpose of, you know, asset tracking, let's say, and use them for a number of great purposes. Or just in order to be just like a, a rolling, you know, sensor. Ca cap sensor capability. Well, you know every day with applications like Waze, right? And so, you know, but, but you can do so much more than that with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Scott, how about at Science and Technology? Any specific, uh, well, what, what are you guys doing over there in the Petri dish these days that might be uh, of A lot of our programs have an IoT connection sure. that sort of has come out of, of its history anyway, and, you know, so software assurance marketplace, a lot of the mobility system stuff that Vincent Stridipan is doing and so on. We are doing a fairly aggressive collaborative effort with NIST around the smart cities, which is, again, a, a fairly major use case. And, and I bring that up because the reason we got into that was the first major round of effort. Not a whole lot of security came out of those initial efforts, and we're trying to bring that front and center into a, a full part of the conversation there. But the other thing that didn't come out early on was the question of privacy. And we're funding privacy research and trying to think about how to bring the privacy considerations into many of these IoT applications because that is going to turn out to be a fairly significant element of any architectural use case, business case consideration anywhere in the country about how to do it well and yet remember that there are some fairly distinct privacy implications to many of the things that the different capabilities bring up. Interesting. Um, uh, the privacy uh, aspect is very important, right? If you start thinking about uh, billions of sensors and collecting all the information, uh, you know, privacy and civil liberties uh, really come of concern. Uh, Ryan, how about uh, um, Palo Alto? Anything specific you want to talk about? We've got a couple more minutes. We can uh, highlight a, a specific program. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it ranges from contributing to the Smart Cities Dialogue that DHS and NIST is convening. Luke, you mentioned standards, so some of the standards work that NIST is doing to drive not just domestic standards, build on the cybersecurity framework and apply that to IoT, help set those things internationally and down into the help uh, secure vehicles for warfighters out in the fields on the on the DOD side. And also, you know, you, you think about an attack on the device and if a, if a hospital is reliant upon those medical records, that's one thing if they don't know everything down to when to change the bedpans and what your blood type is, but it's also the fidelity and the and the trust in that data. So to ensure that someone can't get into that system and alter the blood types of the patients so that, that could cause just catastrophic damage. So the, the trust piece as well as the secure the device piece. Sure. Integrity has always been one of the three pillars of se uh, securing any type of environment. Uh, well, that's interesting. We'll get back on uh, uh, with you, Chris, uh, to, to find out about a program, but we need to take a short break. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and federalnewsradio.com. As the Internet of Things, better known as IoT, transforms entire industries, creating tremendous benefits and new risks, Symantec helps protect over a billion IoT devices, from government and financial services to healthcare and automotive solutions. Symantec securely protects and manages devices and communications and delivers analytics to detect stealthy, sophisticated, advanced threats to IoT systems. To learn more, visit Symantec.com backslash IoT. In today's world of constant change, it's more important than ever to have the agility to adapt and the courage to innovate. At Deloitte, their people bring fresh perspective from inside and outside government to help you solve our nation's biggest challenges. From cyber and IT modernization to digital and analytics, anti-fraud and leadership services, Deloitte drives bold and lasting results. People, ideas, technology, and outcomes, all designed for impact. Look again, Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash Federal Impact. 
Need to improve your time to prevent never-before-seen threats? Automation is the key. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. The federal government wants the fastest threat prevention, network-to-endpoint, cloud and SaaS environments. Come to Palo Alto Networks to get that prevention in as little as five minutes from the time a new threat is seen anywhere. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Palo Alto Networks. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Kevin Robbins, Veterans Affairs, Rick Walsh, United States Army, Scott Tuesley, Science and Technology, Department of Homeland Security, Chris Townsend, Semantics, Dave Wenegreen, Deloitte, and Ryan Gillis, Palo Alto Networks. Uh, we left off with you, Chris. Uh, we wanted to hear from you in regards to perhaps a specific program that uh, Semantics is cooking up over there in regards to the Internet of Things. Yeah, absolutely, Luke. One of the areas that we've been uh, very focused on for the past uh, past year plus has been around uh, remediation of state-sponsored threats targeting uh, oil and gas, for example. We're, we're seeing a lot of uh, activity and malware targeting our, uh, our oil and gas refineries and production and distribution of those systems and making sure that we're uh, partnering with those uh, industrial control systems to protect the control environment and the operating environment and lock those systems mm -hmm. down or remediate any uh, malware that exists there because it, that's certainly been an area that's that's targeted. Another area that we're, we're doing a lot of work with is the uh, auto manufacturers. Uh, you think about the cars themselves and how those vulnerabilities uh, are increasing all the time as our cars get more connected, but also the control systems that, that uh, are used to manufacture the cars, the robotic systems, those type of things. So we're doing a lot of work with the auto manufacturers as well to protect those control systems around the uh, auto manufacturing. Wow, that's interesting. I hadn't even thought about the, uh, you know, uh, you know, the the manufacturing aspect of this and the the, the, the possible vulnerabilities and vectors there that's, that's uh, interesting. Well, look, you all are seasoned vets, um, and I'm sure you have some lessons learned here in regards to uh, uh, what you're seeing and exploring and things that uh, perhaps uh, unintended consequences, et cetera. Let's start with the Army. Uh, tell us about perhaps some lessons learned that you've uh, discovered and some things that you'd want to share with the audience in regards to getting involved with the Internet of Things, have de fully deploying these capabilities out there and things that people ought to be thinking about. Well, obviously, um, the Internet of Things is, is a big space, and for the Army, we look at it, and um, we use the acronym IOT. Okay, it's, it's a two-fold acronym, because we have, in the Army, we're very concerned about the identity of things, not just the Internet of Things. You need to know what's doing it. So having said that, the lessons learned is know what your space is, know what you're doing, start slow and start easy, find a champion that works uh, well within your confines, and then share lessons learned across the services. So, so I look at, and I spend a lot of time working with DHS and other organizations to make sure that we take those lessons learned. But again, the most important thing that we have is start small, identify what your IOT is, make sure you know that you have trusted sources for that information, and it takes advantage of you know, Symantec, Palo Alto Networks, make sure that the information that I get is trusted information. But again, that's knowing my environment, knowing what I'm asking for. The other thing that comes to this is just start small. And that's how we're doing it in the Army. Start small, do your homework, know your environment. Yes, sir. Ryan, how about over at Palo Alto Networks? Uh, give us some lessons learned. You guys have been at this a while. 
Absolutely. So um, again, we talked a little bit about standards, bringing these use cases um, both on the domestic scale but also internationally. So what we see is within the EU, Singapore, places around the world are also looking at these IoT challenges. So ensuring, for example, that we're hitting the right level of uh, flexibility um, and not being overly prescriptive as, as these types of standards are set. And, and again, tailoring to the, to the diversity of these environments. So how do we use at the endpoint within a local network and within the ISP within, within the broader network, what are the different approaches that we can take and tailor it to these vastly differing environments from you know, your smart dev devices in your home and your hospital all the way up to, to merging that into a traditional IT environment. Yeah, the world is complex. A lot of different sectors, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, moving parts here, and it's moving very quickly. So you know the standards haven't caught up. That's just uh, realistic. Uh, Chris, how about you over at um, Semantic? You know, maybe some lessons learned there about what you guys are discovering, and uh, some 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 wisdom you can share with our audience. Yeah, Luke, and <coughs> you know you know me. I'm a huge advocate of of bringing together industry and government to really work together to solve these problems. And, and as Rick mentioned. Let's, you know, we've got a lot of expertise in industry, whether it's Mantec or Palo Alto, there's a, there's a lot of folks that are doing some great thinking around how to solve these problems. Let's bring industry and government together and sit down and, and understand, hey, how do we start to get our arms around the, the you know, the health, the challenges that we have in healthcare with, with, uh, with the healthcare devices. Let's work together in the Army and figure out what you're trying to de deploy in theater and where your challenges are and, and look at the expertise that we can bring or Palo Alto can bring or other manufacturers out there can bring to help solve the problem and, and you know put these challenges on the table and work together to bring those uh, bring those solutions because there's some great technology and uh, and great resources out there that are thinking about how to solve these issues. Yeah, this is a sort of a community effort here, right? You know, you can't uh, you can't uh, expect uh, any one industry to solve a, a 20 billion device issue. Um, how about a Veterans Affairs? What's a, a lessons learned? You guys have been at this quite a while. You've had lots of embedded systems out there. Um, you know, wh what can you share with our community? Uh, maybe an agency that's just getting into this and is going to be where you are uh, in a couple of years and would like to hear some wisdom from you all. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, I'm going to put my cybersecurity operations hat on for this one in particular because, you know, I, I the, the thing that I would say first and foremost is that from a security operations perspective, you got to change your way of thinking. You know, we used to do security operations in that you would put, you know, protections in place, signatures would pop, people would be alerted to something bad happening. With the Internet of Things, you don't have that luxury. You can't use agents anymore on these devices and things like that. So you really have to get more intelligence driven and have the visibility and understand the behaviors of these devices so you can head off anything that may be uh, coming your way. Yeah. yeah, and I would imagine that, you know, with all this data coming in, there, there's sort of that uh, double-edged sword. You know, there's some good artificial intelligence that you can use to, you know, get pattern analysis on I'm just, just a plethora of, of goodness there. Uh, but at the same time, you can probably use that to also sort of, you know, recognize some of these patterns using blockchain and some of these other things that yeah, I know are out there that, that are starting to sort of sniff out, you know, where these issues are. Um, <clears throat> good, that's, that's fantastic. Uh, Scott, how about at Science and Technology? I mean, you guys are doing a, a wide variety of, of, of studies, analysis, prototypes, et cetera, in this area. Uh, what would you like to, to tell, uh, sort of signal to the community there for things that they ought to be thinking about now as they're looking to roll uh, Internet of Things out in their you agencies? Know, you, you asked about sort of lesson learned perspective, and the thing that we've learned is it's actually an organizational challenge more than a technical challenge mm -hmm. because 
these days innovation is so fast and so comprehensive, it's happening everywhere in the operating organizations at the edge, if you will. It's not like the ancient model of sort of Bell Labs figures something out and then brings it to you. And that means that organizations have to be a lot more experimental, demonstration, adaptive in character than they generally tend to be. And the sources of innovation that we talk to and work with a lot have to lean into those operating environments very, very aggressively and think in terms of months to turn project demonstrations around and see what you got out of it, not years. And so it's an organizational innovation challenge between the creators and the operators and the doers all sort of merged together in the same working areas in cities, in particular domains, and so on. Yeah, imagine that sort of that whole fail fast concept is, is in play in, in regards to discovery and then, uh, you know, sort of uh, refactoring, et cetera. Dave, how about you? Uh, give us a, a lessons learned. Uh, uh, I'm thinking there's three things that we're observing from our experience. The first one is building on Rick's point about, you know, think big, but start small and then scale fast. There's great power in pilots to start this work out and overcome, I'll say, institutional resistance to new ways of doing business. The second one is to recognize the complexity that's involved in these things, hardware, software, analytics, visualization, all working together. But the corollary to that is there's huge power in the data that you get from these kinds of efforts. I mean, you're able to replace decision-making based on anecdotes or fear with data-driven decisions. And then the third one is make sure you think about the value proposition up front. Being able to quantify the benefits of doing this kind of work can be another great way to sort of overcome, overcome organizational resistance to new ways of doing business. And there is huge power here, both in productivity gains, reductions in costs, cu enhancing customer experience and satisfaction. And so there's just a number of axes that you can look at to describe how the value of this kind of an implementation will help your organization. Right. Think big, start small. The good news, there's 20 billion uh, points of information. The bad news is there's 20 billion points of information, right? Um, so let's go into some of the challenges uh, that has been discovered, both uh, now and challenges that uh, you know uh, uh, you, you, you've dealt with in the past that you, you sort of still wrestling with. And uh, let's start with the VA. Just tell us about some of these challenges that you're discovering and perhaps how you're handling them. Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the challenges range from you just managing a, an overwhelming inventory of, of devices that are now connected to your network and when they get connect, connected and who's connecting them and then how they're also communicating, you know, whether it be wireless or whatever the case may be. Uh, you know, that, that that's a huge challenge for us. And once again, it, it's, it's a case of, identifying and working with the business owners and the physicians to understand what's most important to them. Is the availability the most important piece? Is it the security of the information that's being, you know, passed or uh, provided uh, the most important? Uh, and then, you know, we talked about CIA briefly, the three pillars. You know, I kind of equate the three pillars now being four because with IoT and medical devices, now you have patient safety mixed in there. And, you know, once again, if you have a pacemakers and things where people can get in, you could start, you know, it's actually a life or death situation at that point if people can hack into those devices. Sure, so. I would imagine that uh, you, not only the safety of that patient, but just the utter chaos, knowing that, you know, something like that has happened uh, must be absolutely incredible. Uh, Chris, how about uh, over at Symantec? Uh, give us some lessons learned as to, you know, what, what you're uh, sort of discovering and, and uh, something you'd like to share with the audience. Well, first off, as a point I made earlier, uh, air gap really doesn't exist, right? There's this transition from IT to OT, uh, very difficult to secure, and we're also finding that many of the legacy 
um, IoT environments uh, are, you know, there's malware that's rampant in those environments. So it's not just about protecting those systems, but remediating them, locking them down going forward. Uh, also, we see a lot of challenges in terms of resources available. You know, all the folks around the table, we have great thinking and resources available within the federal government to get our arms around this, but some of the small mom and pop uh, power production companies out in, out in the, uh, uh, across the country, they don't have the expertise or the resources to really understand the challenge or remediate the challenge. And, and you know, you had mentioned this earlier at the, uh, at the outset, how do we start to look at, uh, you know, leaning on DHS and leaning on the DOD to, to start to secure our, our industrial control systems and SCADA systems outside of the federal government? Right, and I would imagine that the standards, you know, is an issue too. I don't know, maybe that's a panacea. So, uh, Ryan, tell us about, uh, you know, uh, lessons learned there and, you know, the lack of standards that, that are out there. Is, 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 the, is the community waiting on these standards or, you know, uh, what, what's the situation here? Yeah, several of those initiatives I mentioned are, uh, there's development underway to harness these best practices and, and proliferate these standards through NIST and through others. But if you, if you look at the fundamental challenge right now, um, it's the diversity of the attack surface that, you know, those 20 billion devices that, that you mentioned. But with that, I think if you apply consistency of risk management and some of the things that, that we know work, whether it's an in, an, in an IT environment um, or in this, this new diverse IoT environment. So um, how do you see what's transiting through your network? and provide enforcement points and capabilities to block that as we're partnering with, with VA, for example, to ensure that encrypted traffic doesn't just transit through as a, as a vehicle for malware, but in fact that we're able to decrypt and, and install interdiction points. Those types of things are important, whether it's traditional IT or if it's coming from all of these new devices now. Um, I would imagine that uh as the standards roll out and become more uh, sort of embedded, uh, there's going to be perhaps a dynamic between U.S. standards and international standards, different sector standards. Does that become an issue? Absolutely. Yep. So. Um, First mover uh, opportunities are, are really critical at this time to help ensure that there's a good understanding. There's there is potential for unintended consequences here. Um, there are potential you know discussions about certifications and what does that actually look like. And um, so being smart about the supply chain issues, being smart about ensuring that we're not trying to mandate specific technologies that'll be obsolete by the time that the the regulations are actually written, but ensuring that those standards drive towards risk reduction is really a goal that we talk about domestically, whether with NIST or internationally, carrying that NIST work externally or working directly with governments around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, how about some other challenges? Um, uh, Dave, uh, give us some challenges in sure. regards to uh, some of the things that you guys are wrestling well, with. As you look at the environment, I, I think there's a few challenges we have to address. First one is the whole issue of IT modernization. If you as an organization are spending the vast majority of your IT funds sustaining an aging legacy base no longer supported by the manufacturer and introducing huge cybersecurity vulnerabilities, it becomes really hard to sort of take advantage of new technologies and work those into these old proprietary systems. So, so we've got we to gotta wrap our heads around it. It's clearly a national imperative for both the public sector and the private sector to do IT modernization. The second one we've talked about quite a bit already is cybersecurity. And, and again, with the advent of new technology, whether it's about moving to commercial cloud or embracing IoT, we have to think differently about security. We have to think about how we manage risk and use new security approaches that don't 
just you know evade the opportunity, but instead embrace the opportunity. And so thinking about things like data level security, layered security, and thinking about how we can use new technologies like blockchain to help do better security around the Internet of Things. And then the third one is, you know, are we hampering or enhancing access to innovation? And so are we using contracting practices that, that help bring the best ideas and the best new technology to bear, or are we using contracting approaches that sort of limit our access to best ideas? Yeah, I think there's always a, uh, uh, an opportunity to c continue to modernize the way we um, uh, not only deploy things, but modernize the way we inquire things, right? Uh, science and technology, how about uh, some challenges over there? I'm sure there's uh, plenty. There are all sorts of specifically technical ones, but the most interesting one we see is in a continuously evolving environment, continuous innovation, how do you experiment and how do you fold that learning back into operations in an almost continuous and seamless basis? You know, the, the best companies, the best organizations in the country are clearly recognized as those that are perpetually learning and improving and almost tearing a system down to rebuild it as they finished it because they've learned a better way to slightly do it. And that continuous process involves so much churn and so many technical elements, trying to fold those back in and continuously learn them, it's, it's a real key part for any R&D organization to support the operational side and support that continuous technical learning because IoT is just a really major use case where all of these are in play in the way things are operating now. I can't imagine that at the Army there isn't a plethora of challenges uh, that you're sort of facing as you work through uh, these different capabilities. Anything you'd like to share with us uh, additionally? I think the biggest challenge that we have, and I think a lot of my friends here at the table may also have, is called the budget. Mm. <laughs> Nobody's um, brought up the B word. Yeah. <laughs> so having said that, um, we, we, we program our money two and three years out and we want to spend it in that frame. And when, when innovation uh, it, it comes in play, it's something that I need to do, I want to do right now. And it's how do I, how do we educate, okay, so we all go back here, all, every, everybody at this table is a salesman. Our job is to educate leadership in the future to move forward. Part of that is selling the values of IoT, selling the, re, the ROI, the return on investment. Get the money where I need to get the money today. You know, um, it's, it's, so again, I just, the budget right now and informing leadership that these are good ideas. And these is it the lack of the budget or is it sort of the consistency in regards to sort of understanding what my, you know, budget, you know, sort of forecast looks like and I can, I can sort of manage around that? Well, I think it's both the, the mm -hmm. managing the budget and getting money into the budget for IoT today when I'm putting money in the budget today for, for two and three years out to have money I can spend today on IoT and innovation is where it's difficult because that money's already been pigeonholed and locked into something else. So I've got to go and s borrow money from some other program to do something smart today. All right, fantastic. Well, we're going to take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about sort of the vision of the future and ask these folks to share their vision of sort of, uh, well, you know, what does the future look like, uh, you know, predict uh, sort of what it's going to, what, what, what we can expect in a couple of years. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com.
Need to improve your time to prevent never-before-seen threats? Automation is the key. With a rich U.S. government heritage, Palo Alto Networks understands the needs of its U.S. government customers. The federal government wants the fastest threat prevention network to endpoint, cloud and SaaS environments. Come to Palo Alto Networks to get that prevention in as little as five minutes from the time a new threat is seen anywhere. For more on Palo Alto Networks Public Sector LLC, visit federalnewsradio.com and search Palo Alto Networks. In today's world of constant change, it's more important than ever to have the agility to adapt and the courage to innovate. At Deloitte, their people bring fresh perspective from inside and outside government to help you solve our nation's biggest challenges. From cyber and IT modernization to digital and analytics, anti-fraud and leadership services, Deloitte drives bold and lasting results. People, ideas, technology, and outcomes, all designed for impact. Look again, Deloitte.com slash U.S. slash Federal Impact. As the Internet of Things, better known as IoT, transforms entire industries, creating tremendous benefits and new risks, Symantec helps protect over a billion IoT devices, from government and financial services to healthcare and automotive solutions. Symantec securely protects and manages devices and communications and delivers analytics to detect stealthy, sophisticated, advanced threats to IOT systems. To learn more, visit Symantec.com backslash IOT. Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. With me on today's show are Kevin Robbins, Department of Veterans Affairs, Rick Walsh, United States Army, Scott Towsley, Science and Technology, Department of Homeland Security, Chris Townsend, Symantec, Dave Wenegren, Deloitte, and Ryan Gillis, Palo Alto. We were just wrapping up on our challenges and um, uh, wanted to talk a little bit uh, about just R&D in this subject, right? This is a big subject and there's a lot of stuff going on in regards to standards, uh, but there's also a lot of just, uh, you know, uh, deep science going on in regards to how, how, do you, how do you embed these kind of capabilities into these environments and do it in a way that's gonna be efficient when you manufacture them, et cetera. Curious to know, science and technology, what are you guys doing in this area? Is there something that you guys are working on with uh, the, the labs or whatever in this respect? And uh, just curious about uh, you know how you guys are changing the way you're operating and what you're focusing your attention on with this onslaught of technology that's, that's you know, sure. taking over the globe. There's really two things, one organizational and one technical, I think, that are the best way to answer that. Um, you can't do research and development separate from the operating activities. That is, that is really an old model that no longer works commercially, technologically, in the modern world in any way, shape, or form. You've got to find ways to be, in an operating sense, continuously innovating, and in an innovation R&D sense, continually seeing what's happening operationally and how to adapt, how to change things, how to improve things, how to help the innovation process, and so forth. And one of the places that is really hard to do and it's really difficult to play out is the whole process of running some sort of pilot, test, evaluation, experiment, whatever you call it. Because we're doing things so quickly and trying to improve operations so rapidly and so significantly, it's hard to pull back a little bit, capture what we actually learned from the prior six months of something being tried and fold that back into the system. So the continuous learning process is really a, a challenge for any operating organization, but it's also a challenge for the R&D portions of those organizations trying to fold continuous technical uh, on the ground learning in these changing areas and to have that fold in and help companies become successful in any domain, commercially, governmentally, or anything else. Sure. 
Uh, let me go to my uh, industry partners here and ask you all, you know, I, I'm sure I can't imagine that you guys aren't plowing uh, a bunch of research and development into this area. Chris, Ryan, Dave, any of you, uh, uh, what, what can you tell us about, you know, sort of the R&D aspect of this and the deeper thinking that's going on? Yeah, yeah, Luke. It, you know, as I mentioned before, at Symantec, uh, we are fully committed to this space. It's not a, a science project. We, you know, we're it certainly isn't going away. Absolutely, it's an expanding threat vector. It's one that's been around for a long time. Like I mentioned before, we, we're finding a lot of these systems that are already compromised by state-sponsored actors, and we're investing a tremendous amount of R&D and product development in this space because it's going to uh, continue to be an expanding threat. Kevin mentioned earlier the importance of incorporating a a IOT uh, security component in your operating environment. Our, our, uh, most of our federal agencies and customers are over, already overwhelmed with trying to operate the complexity that exists today in their, their cyber environment and then adding in all the devices in IOT as part of that operating environment's complex. So we're really trying to solve for that complexity and help build an integrated platform between the IOT and your on-prem and your cloud uh, to, get, to get our arms around it, right? Using technologies, as you mentioned earlier uh, as well, uh, machine learning, uh, AI are going to play big roles. Uh, behavioral, uh, uh, behavioral analytics is going to play a big role in, in getting arms around this problem as well. And I think, you know, it's a, it takes a village, as they say. I mean, we're a different world than we were 50 years ago when, you know, the center of much of this R&D effort would have been done by the government. And it really does require the IRAD R&D investment of the private sector along with the public sector to make this happen. And, and at Deloitte, we're particularly interested in sort of like the dynamics between the technology and the humans and how to really maximize the value of this, whether it's about process robotics or the Internet of Things or additive manufacturing. There's just such a play here about how it will change the way we, we view ourselves and how we view our world. And so it opens all these doors for like business process change too, in addition to you know, just leveraging a new technology on an outdated process. The networks, I mean, what, what do you guys, what kind of information do you use to sort of uh, suss out what it is you're gonna spend your R&D dollars are and sort of trying to predict, you know, sort of the around the corner, if you will? Sure. Um, I'd, I'd put it in a couple of categories. So with Palo Alto Networks, first and foremost, we're constantly looking how to improve what we already do. So at the network level, at the endpoint level, um, with constant innovation, so you'll see several both software releases and, and new hardware, constantly improving the way that, that we can adapt to the new threat vectors that come through those traditional means. And then a second category, which is to identify where our user base is going and ensure that we're adapting similar capabilities of visibility, reduce the attack service, prevent the known bad things, and turn unknown bad into known bad that we are then preventing. So um, that is most recently what you've seen is us develop partnerships with AWS, with Azure, and with Google Cloud yeah. as customers are migrating to the cloud in, in large numbers. So identifying those things coming down the bend, whether it's you know a move towards quantum, you know, adaption of these new technologies, the things that are coming after cloud, that's another place where we focus a lot of the R&D and innovation. Well, we're going to start with you, uh, Ryan, uh, at uh, Palo Alto Networks and ask you to sort of talk to us about the future, right? You're sort of talking about the uh, research and development, sort of how you're laying the tracks down there. You know, what can we predict? What can we expect over the next two to four years? Sure. I, I think 
Unfortunately, we can continue to expect the unexpected, right? But what we know about that is that the threat environment and the, the potential attack surface is going to expand. And if you step back a little bit, Chris and others have talked about, you know, no one entity, no private sector, no government agency can do this alone. Um, an initiative our CEO has been involved in is a public-private one through the NSTAC, which is a government advisory body um, ma uh, managed by DHS, but brings together the entire national security community and um, and private industry. The study that is going on right now with, with our CEO uh, co-leading with the CEO of Unisys is what's called a cybersecurity moonshot. So with the fundamental problem that security has developed um, with point tools to, to answer discrete problems, rather than stepping back with a grander vision, which is something along the lines of make the internet safe in 10 years, and what are the things technologically, what are the things education-wise, what are the things to identify these new incoming technologies that both standards-wise and others, mm -hmm. you know, what are the steps that we as a society would need to take to harness the best and the unique capabilities of academia, of government, of industry all together to help define a, a, a more fundamentally secure environment where the attacker no longer has the advantage and we as network defenders are constantly trying to keep up with solving these discrete new tools. Get off your heels. Uh, Dave, uh, how about at Deloitte? Uh, tell us what's, uh, what, what, what the future holds for Deloitte. So the world is changing at a frenetic pace and the Internet of Things is here to stay and it's going to radically transform the way we live, work and play. Times of change are times of opportunity. And so it's, n it's no time, I'll say, to be fearful. It's time to act. It's time to step up. I, I am an optimist. And, and I would say, you know, we will, over the next few years, understand how to manage risk rather than avoid it. We will understand and embrace the power of IoT. Well, you know, it's already here. I mean, it's already here in the way we use our smartphones. It's here in the way we use Fitbits and, and uh, Alexa. And right, I mean, it's, 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 not, it's not going away, right? And so the future, I think, is about this prize of connecting the physical world, the digital world, and, and the human humanity of the world together. And how do you bring together, you know, the big data with machine learning and artificial intelligence to create this world that is just fundamentally better in terms of productivity and outcomes and things like that. And so, you know, the, the, it's, it's a brave new world. And from whether you're talking about like healthcare 360 degrees or additive manufacturing or the power of autonomous vehicles and how that will fundamentally shift the way we live in our society, right? But we have to act. And so this is, you know, one of my favorite leadership quotes is uh, Larry Bossett. He says that uh, leaders get the behaviors that they exhibit and tolerate. And so I think collectively, you know, this, this is a rallying cry to say, this is a new technology that we have to embrace and we have to figure out a way. We, we can't avoid the issues around security and privacy, but we have to address them because it is a time of opportunity and we need to act. Must embrace the reality. Scott, how about at uh, Science and Technology? A couple of things. We've been working for some time on some fairly major programs to sort of get to that moonshot element that you know we call next generation cyber infrastructure, next generation first responder, screening at speed so you don't really have to stop and think about those sorts of things. Um, and a lot of the particulars and the details are captured in, in the programs and, and the elements and things that have been talked about today. But the truth is it's going to have to continuously be in an operating environment of this continuous innovation. And what I, we're going to keep seeing, we're going to keep pushing is, in essence, continuous teams of engineers that have a foot in the current ops and the current design with a foot in the innovation elements and find ways to fold all of the different technical pieces in in smart ways, whether it's quality software, 
whether it is fixing a wireless connection infrastructure problem, whether it is education about all these things. All of these things tie back into education from certainly the high school level all the way through postgraduate and folding all those sorts of things in. And I think the research and development function, as it continues to, to become more and more innovative and operationally focused, the analogy I think of is I think we end up playing the sixth man in basketball where everybody's got to have something that comes in and helps start to change the way that it is into a better outcome for what ends up finishing. And I think the six-man analogy is not a bad thing to think of in terms of an R&D functionality in any of these organizations, and that's what we're trying to practice in, in science and tech. Every individual needs to be an Internet of Things warrior. Uh, Chris, how about at Semantics? You know, what, what, what does the future hold? What yeah. can we expect uh, from Semantics over the next two or three years? What can we expect from the industry? Internet of Things is yet another threat vector, like cloud is another threat vector. We're going through a tremendous transformation in terms of connectivity and and the, the boundaries and borders of our, our network environments continue to uh, dissolve, right? Our, our security needs to shift closer to the data, close to the, closer to the user, closer to the application. Um, I think that's going to get us out of these silos. We need to break out of the silos that we've been operating in as an industry, and again, between government and industry and, and industry partners, we need to drive to, you've mentioned standards quite a bit, we need to drive to standards that facilitate interoperability between these tools that facilitate and drive automation, right? Uh, the, the, the adversaries that we face are, are focused, they're well-funded, they're targeted, you know, the old adage, we have to be right 100% of the time, they have to be right once. We need to leverage the innovation and technology machine learning, AI, uh, behavioral analytics, tying these tools together through open standards that can take an automated response to these threats. Because, you know, again, I, we're here talking about IoT today, but IoT is, you know, yet another threat vector. We're going to continue to see these threat vectors expand, and we have to take a systematic approach to these threats. Fantastic. And how about uh, over at the VA, Kevin? Uh, yeah. what, can, what can we expect for the future? Yeah, I mean, the future of the VA is obviously we completely expect IoT to overtake traditional computing resources here in the near future. I mean, it's just expanding so much in all that we do, whether it be in facility management, uh, medical devices, the financial industry, where, whatever the case may be. You know, like we were mentioning before with the R&D, you know, several of these folks are partners of ours and we work very closely with them uh, in hopes that you know eventually we get to the point where these devices are manufactured in a manner that are very secure and then they can help us then work toward looking at those behavioral patterns and doing predictive analytics in order to protect before anything ever happens to these devices. And uh, this, this idea of um, uh, a cyber shield, I sort of throw that out to the audience, uh, you know, sort of good housekeeping seal of approval, if you will, uh, you know, an energy, energy star. Does that make sense? I mean, does that, does that uh, I mean, it seems to me you'd need a whole bunch of standards in place before you could get to the point where you could slap a, uh, a seal on something and everyone could count on it and rely on it. Any thoughts on that from anybody? Take a stab at yeah, um, I I think it it the substance of those standards are would be really important. So you know if the focus is sort of myopically on sort of delivered secure, that doesn't recognize the need for constant updates and new vulnerabilities are discovered. And so um, so there are there are ways that we need to be. Um, thoughtful in approaching those types of standards. So if one of the standards that people have talked about is ensuring that a device is capable of software updates and receiving those type of updates as new things are discovered, as opposed to approaching it simply as a binary, it's, it's delivered secure and 
and set it and forget it type of thing. I, I think it's a really fascinating concept to go look into. I mean, if nothing else, you think about the consumer awareness that it will build and the behavioral understanding. Because, you know, so much of the vulnerabilities that we, we're talking about today, you know, some of them are because of the technology itself, perhaps, but a lot more of them are about the sort of human side of this equation, right? And, you know, we walk around and we're willing to give up so much of our personal information every day by, by how we use our smartphones and things like that. And so, so this sort of broader understanding about the risks and rewards of this technology, I think it can't help but be helped by being able to have things like, you know, an understanding about, you know, like, good housekeeping seal of approval or energy star ratings and, and helping people to sort of be informed consumers as they think about using this technology. And how about just the issue of, you know, multi-sectors and uh, sort of uh, uh, multi-country standards and, and, the, and the fact that, you know, that, that's so um, uh, nascent right now, right? Uh, any thoughts on that from science and technology? I, I know you guys work very closely with NIST it on is this. A, it is a major challenge. NIST now is a, a real issue. It is a challenge area that's a major problem and challenge in its own right uh, because the standardization is happening in all sorts of places, industrially as well as governmentally and internationally and so on and so forth. Um, it's going to turn into a further challenge when you remember that you know the human part of these equations and these systems have only started to figure out how to adapt and use IOTs and sensors and the pervasiveness of all of it and where the human society that we're in is going to take it is not clear yet. And I still think the privacy thing I brought up earlier is going to turn into a, a major engineering domain and challenge that folds into all this equally along with the security, along with the safety that the VA talked about. And again, that's what we're trying to do is set up teams and, and, and engineered groups to comfortably work in any of these spaces in the adaptive and high-speed way that organizations need. What's the future hold for the Army? I mean, what, what, what do you guys see uh, in the future in, re well, in respect to, see, to uh, so embedded systems, smart soldiers, the whole thing? Smart soldiers, embedded systems, where we talked a little bit today about the, the number of devices, the number of IoT devices are going to be in the field in the future. Well, right now, the Army's very parochial in that I only want to see my stuff. I only want to see what I have. I know they exist, but I'm very much I want to control today. What I want to get to is I want to get to, and we're going to use a, a, a term I don't like, but we're going to talk about the BYOD environment, the bring your own, the personally owned device. Mm. That's how I leverage the 20 billion devices, the 20 billion sensors that are in the field. Everybody in this room has multiple devices in their pocket, I know. I mean, I know you've got a smart watch, I have a smart watch, you've got a phone, I've got a phone. We all have those things, but do we actually leverage what is there? The future for the Army is in that 18 to 25 year old kid right now. That's where I want to get to. But right now, those are my smart users. If, if you, and I'll, I'll give you all a, a number then, it's kind of, if you take, if you go home and you ask if you all have kids or you have young people in your life, ask them to take out their smartphone and see how many applications are open on that device. Just, mm -hmm. how many of you guys use it? So I'll go ask my son, my son's name is Nick. How many applications you got on your device, Nick? How many are open? He'll take his phone and says, Dad, why? I said, just do it for me. And he'll look and have 50 applications open on his device. And he says, okay, Dad, how many you got open? It's like a five. And I said, what does that tell me? What that tells me is that that 25-year-old is fully leveraging that device. Okay, what's that talking about that older person? <laughs> what's that older person using on that device? And I'm not leveraging the power of that device. Everybody at this table has got to start leveraging the power of that device. We don't. The kids aren't afraid to fail. How do I get 
that 20-year-old, 25-year-old interested is sitting at this table. Great panel, guys. There's not a young person on this panel. No disrespect to anybody here. Um, but that's my future. How do I engage? The Army, the DOD, the civilian workforce is aging. I can give you some, some numbers that would scare you. 70% of the, the DOD workforce is over the age of 40. Okay. And, and the future is in that, uh, that young soldier. The future is in that 20, that 18 to 25-year-old. Right. How do mm -hmm. I get there? Right, right. Well, listen, this has been a fantastic uh, show. A lot of things that have been discussed, a lot of things to think about, a lot more that we could discuss. We could spend all day doing this. But I'd like to thank today's guests for taking time from their busy schedules to join us for this program. Uh, I'd like to thank our sponsor for Without We Don't Have a Show. Uh, I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Radio that make this program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, I'd like to thank the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You've been listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and federalnewsradio.com. Thank you for listening to the 2018 Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, proudly celebrating 13 years. The show is produced by the Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of the show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsradio.com.